You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. We're back, Primal Radio, July 25th, 2018. We're back in. Tom, how you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. Yeah, it's real hot over here. That's that's <laughs> look, that's what I good. hear, man. Well, it's not. And look, Jersey, believe it or not, New Jersey, New York, this whole Northeast place gets ridiculously hot. I don't know if it's because all the concrete or whatever it is, but it has been humid. So, are you sweating? Do you have air conditioning over there, Tom, or no? We don't really have it in this country because I mean, you do in like offices and things like that. But you only normally you only need it for like say two weeks each summer, that's so it, no yeah. one bothers. Right. But, uh, I, it's been about two months so far. Really? Hot weather Global and warming. Got one more there coming. You go. Good. You know, it's <clears> been, yeah, it's been balls high here. My gym, the gym, we have air conditioning, but we haven't put it on because it's going to be like five grand a month to cool the place because it's gigantic. So people got to suck it up and sweat, you know. So no, yeah. one's, no one's complaining. Yeah. We got a harder crew of people, so it doesn't, no, it doesn't matter. But, uh, but anyway, hey, I got to, um, real quick, I got to, of course, as you know, Tom, what do I have to do now? I have to promote the shit out of our stuff. So here, here we go. You can listen to Primal Radio Saturday night, 9 p.m. Uh, New York time, 9 p.m. UK time on HamiltonRadio.net. You can hear us on Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeart, iTunes, Sonos, YouTube, SoundCloud, Amazon Alexa. You can find us on the original PrimalRadio.com, PrimalJimNJ.com. And, of course, I have my promotion company, PrimalFightPromotions.com. Our event is coming up. In a couple of weeks, August 11th at uh, the Claridge in Atlantic City. It is going to be a sold-out show. So if you want tickets, get a hold of me at PrimalFightPromotions.com. Buy it from one of the fighters at the gyms. Reach out to me at the gym. But it's going to be a fantastic show. I think we have now about 13 or 14 fights um, on the card. The state limits us to about that number. So, uh, but anyway, it's a great hotel. It's good. The weather will be nice down there. It'll be a good location. We got a good deal on everything. So, Tom, too bad you're not here to see it. But maybe next show. I know. I know. When are you coming? When are you coming back over, Tom? Uh, as soon as I have some money, oh, my well, friend. I wish actually I could, I one wish. one little thing to tell you on yeah. that. So I've, I've just purchased a map of America. You did. And I've got this aim that I've talked about for years of doing like a road trip across America, visiting all the guys that I've met partly through the radio station and right. through training. And I've got this map, and I'm going to start mapping that out. And then our next thing is to set a date. But I want to do this crazy road trip one day. So but you're going to come over, you're going to fly to New York, let's say, right? New Jersey, get in a car. Yeah, east to west, I think. And or then, west to east. And then how are you going to get back? Drive back? Uh, nah, dump the car the other end, fly home. But I think it roughly take a month off work. But That'd I need to cool. have some work. Hey, look, first. you'll see a lot of cool shit. You can do it by yourself or you have someone else to go with. We'll see. People want to join me. I mean, Johnny Max got, he's real keen to come and visit some of the guys that he's right. met. So no, that would met. be a cool trip. I wish I could join you on it. You can, you can. But anyway, so here we go. So let's get back to, oh, last week, real quick, before we bring on our, our very special guest, I, I did listen to the show last week. It was a good show, Tom. And did we, we, one of the things we didn't hit on is um, Pat becoming a grandmaster. So I want to say congratulations yes. to Pat. You want to top line that? Yeah. I think what we'll do is do a little spin-off show where we kind of talk to him about that. Okay. I and mean, he was a very reluctant guy to become a grandmaster, and there's a good story about it all. So okay, we'll you know, do it, a spin-off it was, show. It was good. It was pretty fascinating stuff. But anyway, okay, so look, we're, let's get let's get down to this. Now, we have a guest who's been a buddy of mine for a number of years. He's a tremendous martial artist. This guy is the real deal. You know, he's uh, got multiple black belts, was a French foreign legionnaire. Uh, he's been a bodyguard to... It, bands like i guess warrant and he's an author he's got a series of dvds out been on tv and a bunch of different shows geez what was that show he did i can't even remember what it was but uh but he's been all over the place excellent one of the most talented guys i've ever had the privilege of training with ladies and gentlemen the one and only nick Hughes. nick how you doing buddy good mate how are you guys good good i i'm right. glad we got you on the show now, i had you on the show a couple years ago new show new yeah. co-hosts and stuff and uh I was, uh, what, maybe, when was the last time? I was down at your gym, your club, what, two, th- three years ago, maybe? That is it that long already? That's crazy. It's been that long. It was a great, so you're in Lake Norman. Yep. And uh, it's a great facility you got down there, and uh, I'm glad to hear that you're still there and stuff. 
Uh, but anyway, it's great. So what are you what are you up to now? What you got some projects going on or? Uh, mate, I have just released the print version of How to Be Your Own Bodyguard. Oh, which yes, is you the, did. the book I put out years ago. Yeah. And working on about eight more books that are following hot on the heels, and we're also about to launch an online university. Oh, no kidding. I did not know that. Well, I, how to be yeah. okay. I haven't read this book yet. I'll have to pick up. What? I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> and I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I have not read it. Well, I'll be, and I did know it was out there. It's just look, I got a lot of shit on my plate. I used to do a lot more reading. I just don't have the goddamn time right now. So I'm, I'm yeah, dumbing, time, dumbing time down. Is hard. What's that? Reading's hard. <laughs> I, no, time. No, shit, it's I'm, hard I for read me. Five books a week. You no, read, I said finding the time to read is hard. Right. You do a lot of reading. About five books a week. Five books a week, Mike. Are you yeah. are you like, well, good. Are you like speed reading this shit? Are you highlight? How are you reading it? Is you just pretty pretty much? I mean, I can read a novel in about an hour and a half. The average novel. No shit. Yeah, I can't do that. Tom, can you do that? Uh, definitely not. No, that's that's a skill, man. That's amazing, and you can retain this stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, pretty good. I guess you're born with that shit. I, I couldn't do that. I, I've tried. I don't think I've even read a book that was like 20. <laughs> Outside of Green Eggs and Ham. That was about the extent of my, <laughs> my reading at that time, you know. you know. And every time they wanted a book report, I just, you know, cliff notes and then uh, bullshit it. Watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that was it. But anyway, so, Nick, I want to go back. Because the show's about you. I want to talk about your book and your new release and all this stuff. You now, you were born in Australia. Correct. And then you, uh, you, you came. Would you join the French Foreign Legionnaire when you were what? 18? How'd that happen? I remember the story vaguely. Uh, well, I was. I joined a karate school. I, I started at the school judo club. Did a whole bunch of that. Did taekwondo. Got totally infatuated with martial right. arts to the point where I was probably psychologically obsessed. Um, you know, a school teacher would walk through the room and bust kids with a Playboy magazine under the desk. He'd bust me with a copy of Black Belt. Uh, (laughs) I'd draw little stick figures fighting in my books and flip books. I mean, I just lived and breathed this stuff to the point where my parents were getting concerned. And I ended up in a karate organization that they were all about security. So they had tied up all the bouncers in Australia trained with these guys, the crowd control, which led to the bodyguarding for the rock bands. Right. And I wanted to go the next level. I wondered why we weren't doing diplomatic protection. And I had this idea of being a personal assistant bodyguard for someone rich. Mm-hmm. And everyone everyone in Oz said the same thing. You know, you've got to go to Europe. You've got to go to America to do that. Why is that? So why I, is that? I turned up in London with my black belt in hand, went to these agencies that supplied bodyguards and said, uh, you know, here, I'm here. I'm going to save you all, basically. And they <laughs> laughed. <laughs> They're all ex-SAS guys that run, you know, British special forces that run these agencies. And they said, son, go and get some military experience and we'll talk to you. And they like military guys because, you know, the government's vetted you and made sure you're not a nutcase. You've been trained on firearms, basic first aid. If you've gone through the UK system, you're probably toured Northern Ireland. So you've been shot at and you know right. what the deal is. Right. You're happy wearing a uniform, you're happy taking orders, and you're happy standing post, which is all good skills for a bodyguard. So uh, at the time, the economy was trashed, and there was a year and a half wait list to get into the UK Army. And a guy said, if you go for the Legion, they'll take you immediately, and you'll also learn at least one other language, which will help you if you're going to work in Europe. And so uh, I ended up on their front door a week later and signed up for a five-year contract. With the Legion? Yep. Why did what? Like, did you not want to go back to Australia or anywhere else? Did I mean, that was that was sort. Of, I'd be going back with my tail between my legs. You know, all these friends of mine said, "Well, you know, this is BS. You're going to go over there. You're going to get homesick. You're going to come back." And uh, I said, "There's no way. You know, right. I'm, I'm going. I'll make it no matter what happens." And, so, uh, what I was their pitch to you? I mean, what did, what did, what 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 was appealing about it? It had to be more than just. Had to be something that said, okay, this is something I can do, and then this is something that's beneficial. Because it is pretty cool, by the way, the French Foreign Legion versus mm. just as, you know, some something else that is some kind of a exotic kind of thing to do. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a mystique to it. It's there got the go. reputation as the world's hardest armies because it's got the world's highest desertion rate. Oh, does it really? Uh, yeah. No, mate, it was, there's 190-something nationalities in there. and Wow. 
it, I've always been fascinated with the military. You know, the same thing goes hand in hand with the martial arts, doesn't it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, always I, re I grew up watching all the World War II movies, Guns of Navarone and oh, you yeah. know, The Longest Day and A Bridge Too Far. And oh, great so th this was all part of the grand adventure. And this is out, this is like basically out in the Sahara. That's where you're training, right? And everyone's from all, all I mean, take us through some of the guys you who joined up with you, because it, it's a mishmash of people from all over the world. It's not just like f f the French at all, is it? No, well, well, actually, the French legally aren't allowed to join the Legion. So what they do is oh, they no give shit. them a fake, they, yeah, they give them a fake ID card that says they're born in Belgium, Switzerland, um, which explains away the or Canada, which explains away the fact they speak French so well. Yeah, and in actual quite, fact, probably fifty percent of them are French. Did right. quite a lot of criminals join it? Have I, have I made that up? Is that, is that <laughs> no. no, let me let me clarify a couple of things. As you talked about the Sahara, we're not in the Sahara. Um, <laughs> basic basic oh, training. Do a bit more research. Yeah, take us through the truth, Nick. Basic training is done in Castel Nordery, which is a town in the southeast of France. And it's not too uh, it's down near like Toulon, Carcassonne, all that area. You do four months of basic training and then you get shipped to your regiment. And there are regiments in mainland France. The parachute regiment, which is where I went, is out in Corsica. And then you have overseas postings. So they're in uh, Maroa Atoll near Tahiti. We're in Madagascar. We're in Chad, Central Africa and South America in Guyana. Wow. wow. And so these are all the outposts you can get sent to. And then you'll typically do two years in a regiment. So if you went to Tahiti, you'd do two years, and then you've got to pick a different regiment for, an, for another two, unless you go to the parachute regiment, and you can spend your whole five years there because those guys do so many um, what they call company tournants, which is they get sent overseas four months at a time as a rotational backup for the other regiments. Hmm. So I, I joined the parachute regiment. The way that works is they you do your basic jump training, and then whichever company needs you the most, you go in there, which is, you know, there's a right way to do things, a wrong way to do things, and a military way to do things. <laughs> so we, I get put in the, the amphibious company, so we're recon divers. And we've got guys in there that are terrified of the water, and uh, one kid who's a Swiss mountain climbing and downhill skiing expert. Mm -hmm. And over in the mountain company, they have a kid that was a Canadian Olympic hopeful for swimming. So it makes no sense. Makes no sense at all. And I was too big for the French parachutes, which are tiny. So every time I jumped, I started breaking stuff. So after a year of that, they said, look, this isn't working. Uh, you've got to pick somewhere else. So I went back to Africa. Yeah, so I got stuck there for another two years and then came back and did my last year and a bit in uh, headquarter regiment in the south of France. Wow. So you chose to go back to Africa too? Oh, uh, mate, I loved it. Did you really? I loved the heat. I loved the heat and I loved that it was on the edge. You know, you... Uh, we live in society where, and you don't see this, when you live in places like England and America, and I know you're in Jersey, it's a little rough, but we still, <laughs> we still live in a place where you can lock your doors and, you know, there's not yeah. bombs going yeah. off and people shooting you and you're not surrounded by the enemy per se. We had Marxist communists to the north. We had Yemenis over the water. We had lawless Somalia to the south. Wow. Uh, wow. You know, put a bomb in a nightclub when I was there and blew up nine legionnaires. Uh, they drive by the front gate, uh, the gate post, and take pot shots at you. No kidding. And so yeah, it was it was an adventure. You know, it was exciting. You're living on the edge like that, and yeah, for no someone doubt. who trains in martial arts, that's sort of where you want to be. Now, would you go now, back you... and change that? Would you have gone somewhere else if that was invaluable to you? No, and I think uh, there are times, and I'm sure this is true of every guy in the military, when we do our basic contract and you quit and go back into Civvy Street, there are times you regret that decision. Hmm. I got mates of mine that did the whole 20, 25 years and they're getting a pension now. One friend of mine, uh, we just did this cross America motorbike ride off road the whole way from one coast to the other. He came over to do it with us and he's getting 3000 euros a month for the rest of his life, no matter where he lives. Wow. Yeah. And I looked at that and thought that would be nice. It would be but, nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So after the four years, you have the option to resign, I guess, if you decide, and you well, have to start five, training. Five-year contract with oh, five those guys, years. yeah, and they off, they beg me to stay. They off, you know, they dangle all sorts of carrots. We'll send you off to be a sergeant, and you can do this, and you can do that. And uh, I just, I already had a bodyguard job lined up. Did you? And where was I had that? Saudi princess in London, ready to go. So how'd you manage to get that gig? I trained. I did a bodyguard course on leave. 
um, with XSAS guys in England and a guy called Den Martin. And uh, he cobbled together this course. He had the contract for the Miss Universe competition. And they put together a course with an XSAS guy called Lofty Wiseman. And I went and trained on that. It was 10 days up in the mountains of Wales doing, you know, shooting and foot drills, threat assessments, yeah, and yeah. first aid, all the stuff a bodyguard does. Kind of, the, kind of the same stuff the Secret Service goes through. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got done, I graduated number one. So they offered me to come back and work as an instructor with them. And then they were, we were in constant contact when I was in the Legion. And he said, when are you getting out? When's your contract finish? And I said, September the 28th or whatever it was. And he said, we've got a job starting on the 30th. Wow. So wow. And uh, yeah, I landed on my feet um, and I was working straight away. The pay decent back then? Uh, no, here's the problem with the whole <laughs> damn gig. Yeah. No, seriously, here's the problem with the whole gig. Number one, uh, and a, and a lot of the guys I worked with went back into bouncing on nightclub doors from what you would consider to be a more prestigious gig as a bodyguard. Mm. And the reason for that is, and a couple of them pointed it out, when you're a bouncer, those guys, if it's a good crew you're working with, they'll take a bullet for you. Right. I mean, I everyone has your back. Yeah. When you work in this thing called the circuit in England, everyone's trying to stab you in the back. Yeah. So you'd... You get guys would work on the job with you, and they'd go to the boss and say, "How much is the company charging you for the bodyguard?" You know, the guy'd say, "Oh, twenty pounds an hour." And you go, "Well, we got a company; we'll do it for eighteen. So you come into work the next day, and you're all fired. And here's the guy you're working with now. So that sort of stuff went on all the time. Yeah. And, uh, the other big problem with that job is two, two other problems. One, you don't have a life. If I want to eat a pizza and watch a Rambo movie, all right? So you know how intellectually gifted I am. I just yes. gave it away. <laughs> I eat a pizza and watch a Rambo movie, right? And the boss wants to go to the opera and eat Chinese. Guess what we're doing? You know, I don't right. get a look at it. That's a big deal. The other one is you don't know where the next job is coming from. So I would get off a gig and you call the agencies and go, hey, I'm available. And they'll go, yep, we'll call you if we get anything. Now, that could be the next day. It could be an hour later. And in some cases, eight months later. Wow. wow. So you get your money and like, how long do I have to make this last? Is, you know, you, a regular guy gets a paycheck and he's like, I got to make this last till next Friday. That's pretty easy yeah. to, to figure out. But when you get paid and it's like, uh, this might have to last me till next year or next week or tomorrow, you know, it's, it's hard. What'd you do between gigs to to make to make ends meet? Were you able to do that? Or you were, you had enough work that it was okay. No, bouncing, bouncing, courier work, training, whatever. Just yeah. depend. It's very. It's also very seasonal. A lot of the uh, I bodyguarded a lot of the Saudi and Jordanian royal family members, yeah. and they would yeah. come out every summer to escape the heat in the Middle East. And then when the summer is over, they go back to the because they don't want to do winter in England, as Tom will attest. It sucks. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, when the fall hits, mate, they're all off. They go Run. back to the... So going back, before we left Australia, because we kind of jumped over that, did yeah. w did you start your uh, fast, you know, you said in school and stuff, and you started in what? Just regular traditional karate, like you said, right? And then you yeah. did... Now you've done a lot of different things. Was most of it after the Legion, during the Legion, or was it originally the number of 18 years in Australia prior to... Ah... Uh... Well, I started doing judo with the school judo club when I was about eight. That's when it started. And, yeah, and I loved it. But I automatically, even then, drawn to the self-defense side of it. We would do jujitsu for the last 30 minutes. Yeah. We'd do judo for an hour. We'd do jujitsu for 30 minutes. And I honestly, I was going through the judo to get the jujitsu. Um, and this, you, you know, people don't understand either. This was all pre-Bruce Lee. No one knew who Bruce Lee was. There yeah. was no martial arts craze yet. No. Um, I just lucked on and found this thing. I'd had a disease when I was younger, so I couldn't play a lot of team sports. So I gravitated to this stuff because it's a solo pursuit. And then, then all of a sudden, Bruce Lee comes. So we have a taekwondo club comes to the school. We were cross-training with the boxers and the wrestlers because we all use the same mats. And uh, we were in the same gym at school, so we'd share the facilities. So after yeah. judo was over, the wrestling club had come in, and I'd hang back and train with them sometimes. Another day, it'd be the boxing club. And so I started doing taekwondo. My brother had found this guy that had this reputation in Australia that we were all thugs. You know, they, these guys are the hell's angels. Yeah. Because we dared, we dared to take our skills and, and apply them to bouncing and fighting 
and you know our argument was well that actually makes us more traditional than the guys who were sitting in the dojo bouncing around doing you know jumping spinning back kicks and yeah because that was what martial arts were learned for it was learned originally for fighting so uh, yeah i trained with them for the longest time and that system the beauty of it was because it was made up of all these hard nuts all over the country we had guys who joined the security company that had black belts in you know army unarmed combat jiu-jitsu combat judo and all these old hardcore martial arts that no one knew about and uh, we would the system was set up so you would use whatever worked so i came in from judo knowing how to do foot sweeps and i catch a guy's kick and i sweep his legs out well i did that at the taekwondo school and they said you can't do that i did it at this karate school and they all went oh my god that was awesome how'd you do that show <laughs> everyone that's awesome yeah they incorporated anything that worked so, so when I I left Oz and hit Europe, in the Legion I ran into a bunch of martial artists. You know, we had a Brazilian guy who I now know that was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I didn't at the time. He said it was right. Brazilian Judo, and uh, I trained with him. That's funny. Uh, I had Shotokan karate guys. There wasn't a lot of you know there was none of what I'd studied in Australia, but there was Judo was really big, Aikido's big. Um, did the Legion unarmed combat. And then when you're doing that, we ran into guys that had done unarmed combat in the Russian military, you know, the Yugoslavs, wow. Germans, wow. and so all cross training and all sorts of shit. Guys had done Filipino stuff, were showing us their stuff. And uh, so I just started wherever I ended up. Like in Africa, I trained at a Shotokan karate club when I was back in Paris. I trained with a guy called Jeff Espinouz, who's a big uh, Innocento guy. Uh, I joined an Aikido club that we had at the school, uh, at the regiment. Uh, joined the local judo club, went to karate schools, joined kickboxing, found a goju guy on the Isle of Wight, found a shitaru guy in Sweden, trained with the anti-terrorist cops, and just bounced around basically wherever I ended up for work. That's right. That's who I trained. Yeah, that's. I mean, right from the beginning, you were very eclectic and you kind of mixed it. Yeah. That's great. You were very fortunate to, to do that. You know, I, yeah, I was you... stuck with, you know, the one karate school essentially for a number of years because that's all that was around. You know. Early yep. on, and even later yep. on, in the East Coast, in the U.S., there wasn't the variety of sh shit yeah, that you had available. Well, I think I think a lot of kids nowadays don't realize how lucky they are either. Us old timers, you know, you and you'll remember this. You weren't allowed. <laughs> I'm not an old timer. Allowed to train with anyone else, right? You know, if your yeah. instructor found out that you went to another school, you were you were ostracized you come back and shave your damn eyebrows off and kick you out of the school you know right. how dare you and tournaments weren't mixed and a karate guy never learned judo and a judo guy never learned karate it was Correct. you picked an art and you basically stuck with it because that's all you needed right. and these kids now having accessibility to you know look at the seminar that you and i did with hawk yeah you know you got hawk doing filipino stuff you got me doing my stuff you're down there doing catch and these kids are allowed to come from their school and soak all that up and take it back and the whole MMA concept, you know, we just didn't have that. So I kind of got it inadvertently by sure, traveling sure. the world. Yeah, but these right, kids right, are considered right. a gym and do this. Right, yeah, right. You go to a single place. Yeah, my, yeah right. That, that's great. That just wasn't available, you know, for, no. us, for us at the time on any level, you know. And uh, No. Now, was there, now, after that, after the Legion, you know, you got a Legion. When did you move to the uh, United States? And in 94, I came out, I started working for an agency in London. I love these guys called Showsec. And they did all the rock and roll band security in London and across right. Europe. And you started off with these guys. It was almost like an apprenticeship. You know, you get a job with them and you'd be out in the parking lot in the rain and the cold, you know, making sure the cars coming in had the correct VIP passes. And, you know, you'd guard the tour bus would come in with the band on it. And you'd keep the fans away. Once you'd paid your dues there for six months, then you're allowed to come in and work, you know, in the pit crew. And then you'd be trusted to stand outside the dressing room. And then you went on a supervisor's course and you, you know, supervise a team of 20 or 30 guys at Wembley Stadium. And then you gravitated up to working as personal security for one of the bands. Gotcha. And, uh, gotcha. I landed a gig looking after Warrant, yeah, which was great. great. Came, came to the States, fell in love with it immediately, very much like Australia. And, you know, it's true what they say. This this country is blessed. You can come here, and if you're prepared to do the work, man, you can make it, and you can make it as far as you want to. There sure. is no limitation, which a lot of people, a lot of other countries, you know, I lived in Russia, I lived in Africa. I mean, horrible for those people. They don't have those opportunities None. that we have here. Mm. And 
as I was flitting back and forth, I worked with a company called Base, which was the British American security executive. And if we had Americans come to Europe, we'd look after them. If we had uh, UK or European businessmen going to the States, they'd take care of them this end. And on one of those trips, I met my now ex-wife. And uh, that's all she wrote. We <laughs> hitched and I was here for 10 years. And you're yeah, still you know how that works, right? I know. <laughs> More <Yeah>. than once. <laughs> it's, like getting, it's like getting hit by a truck. Yeah, oh, yeah, a couple of times, and they back up and they yeah. roll, run your ass over again. Yes, yes, yeah, was good. That is good. There's an old joke. You know why divorce is uh, so expensive? Because yeah. yeah, it's worth it. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Beautiful, beautiful thing. No kidding. So, Dad, you settled up in Carolina, and yeah. you got and you after. I mean, look, you've done. I think, and you've done a lot of interesting things. You you set up a school. Did you set up a school down there originally, or no? That came on later. No, mate, I did. I started working with the local cops teaching what I called combat karate. Gotcha. And I didn't Let me feel say, can I interrupt for one second? Now, watch it with, yeah. with Nick and watch him do his old school, traditional, hardcore karate. It's some seriously bad shit. Um, guys are equating a lot of the new Taekwondo. Nah, I don't want to say it. Whatever that karate is, often it's that 21-year-old who just got his black belt. When Nick yeah. was doing it, it was the real shit. It was real hardcore. And so when I'm watching Nick do this while we're training together, it's like, that is cool, cool stuff, you know? So it's it's often overlooked in today's world, you know? Yeah, the original, when I get guys now and they bitch and, you know, about uh, McDojo stuff and yeah. they say karate doesn't work. And I'm like, man, that's like someone showing you the wrong way to use a hammer, right? You're holding it and you're trying to hit the nail with the, with the wood bit sticking yeah. out the bottom of your fist. It's not the hammer that doesn't work. You've just been showing the wrong way to use it. That's and right. You've got to be a little bit logical. It survived one of the best tests of all, which is the test of time. You know, right. the MMA guys would have you believe that until they came along, no one knew how to fight. But, and I'm like, but, oh, I stood in the roughest club in our town and we averaged five fights a night, six nights a week for two years. That's over 2,000 fights and I never lost one. Wow. So people sit there and go, that shit don't work. And a mate of mine in England said, what doesn't work? Kicking them in the balls, elbowing them in the head, headbutting them, punching them, what? So karate works, karate taught properly works just fine. It absolutely. really does. I agree it's completely. And, and absolutely. You know, I agree. So when you do that stuff, when I go back and I do a lot of my own training now, I find myself going back to a lot of the old stuff, which I had abandoned yeah. some years ago and going, wow, that is brilliant. And I can't even improve upon it. You know? one, of, one of my favorite things is to go do a seminar for a traditional martial arts school and show them what is hidden inside what they're actually right. doing. Right, and I've seen you do it, and it's brilliant. Yeah. It is. It's, it's eye-opening. The other one is I have a picture, thank God, because we did, you know, it's not like nowadays. There's What do they say? There's more pictures been taken in the last three years than in the history of the world because of wow. smartphone. I believe that. Like Selfies someone alone. had one of those old boxes with the gunpowder on it and, you know, put his, the blanket over his head and took yeah. a picture of me in the 70s grounding and pounding one of my students. Oh, is that right? That's funny. Yeah, I'm sitting on top of that guy, got him by the throat, punching the shit out of his head. And uh, I put that up on a forum somewhere, and I said, yeah, for all the MMA guys who think you invented ground and pound, here is us in a typical class back in the late 70s. Nice. And uh, I'm sitting on top of my guy on the floor beating the shit out <laughs> of him. They didn't invent that. They didn't invent that. No. Crap, it's nonsense. No, not at all, not at all. Now, you yeah. got to show um, The Deadliest Warrior. What The Deadliest Warrior is, is that's a show, I guess essentially what they did is they would pit uh, some warriors from a particular time in history, let's say, you know, uh, the Gladiators or something like that versus the, the Comanche Indians or something like that. And yep. they run all these tests, scientifically, supposedly, and through all this stuff they determine who would have beat who in a fight. Now, you were on yeah. that show, right, Nick? I was. And you, um, you were representing but, the, the French Foreign yeah, Legion. Yeah, I'm going to burst the bubble of a lot of 16-year-old kids who thought the show was real because uh, <laughs> it's reality TV, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> the whole thing is scripted. Of course. I got They mailed the script out to me before I went, and they said, you know, read this. You, you don't have to do it word for word, but we want you to get a basic idea. And, you know, here's the doctor saying, I'm, I forget his name, Dr. Armand or something. He's, and in the script, he's going, I'm really impressed with the accuracy of the Gurkha rifle. We haven't shot the damn things yet. Yeah. <laughs> I look in the script and I have to lose. I'm like, well, that sucks. And I thought about not going. 
And someone said if they don't get you, they're just going to get someone else. The results are going to be the same. So you may right. as well take advantage of exposure on TV and go for it. And uh, you know, I talked it through with some friends, and I went out ah, of hell with it. I'll go. I'll just. I'm going to make it as hard as I possibly can for them to make him the winner. Right. And so I was doing headshots on targets, and he was missing. You know, he missed the targets completely, the mobile ones. And you don't see that on the show. They go over, he stands six inches away and shoots them. Yeah, and, uh, editing. I, I was talking to the Navy SEAL who's on the show, and I went, what the hell? And he said, welcome to Hollywood. He yes. said, you cannot have a show about so-called military experts, and the guy can't hit the target. Right? The audience is just going to bitch and go, well, they didn't get the right guy. And... Uh, so, yeah, it was like that the whole way. The knife thing, I tried to make that hard for him. You know, my, they clocked my hand speed at 80 miles an hour. He was at 50. Wow, still, not even close. There were, still people, there were still people saying, well, the Gurkha would win because he's got a Kukri. And I'm like, dude, I'm moving my hand at 83 miles an hour. He's moving his at 50. How's he going to do the math? God, right. come on. Not even close, <laughs> not even close. It's like saying, I'm driving my car at 100 and you're driving your Ferrari at 50. Yeah, but it's a Ferrari. I don't care. You're driving at half the speed of mine. You're not going to win. But, right. Uh, you know, that all ends up on the cutting room floor. Sure. We had fun. It was great exposure. We got three oh. days. of Anytime you get paid to shoot someone else's ammo, that's always a good day. Yeah, no, now, how was <laughs> that? Like, they make you sign a contract and they can edit it and do anything they want with yeah, 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 absolutely you right. you agree going on and you're not allowed to talk you know the only reason i mentioned some of this stuff now is the show's now defunct right you could talk if, about if it, it was still on air i couldn't say any of this but right. they got uh the computer simulations guy they had uh told everyone he was a former green beret and then someone did some investigation and found out he wasn't oh and that, <sighs> that's a big mess credibility of the show went away overnight right right a, a friend of ours you know, snake blocker had done the show yeah. and uh no true like years ago i had uh, was gonna do some kind of reality show and uh yeah. and they sent me the contract and um essentially they said they could do anything they wanted uh but kill me uh, and i had to be okay with it it was actually a show called the contender which was done by mark barnett who does survivor uh, I think uh, Sylvester Stallone was involved in it, and so was... Uh... Yeah, 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 I remember this. Right. Yeah. So I auditioned yeah. for the show, and they liked me. The premise of the show changed. Originally, it was supposed to be the Rocky story, that older yeah. guy coming back to fight like Rocky, and then it turned into, like, the next new superstar. So the, the whole dynamic changed. And then, plus, they, unlike the ultimate um, fighter, where they have multiple weight divisions, that they knocked it down to one weight division. And they yeah. had to find enough talented people who are charismatic enough or interesting enough yeah. to put on the show. Anyway, um, that never fell through. Actually, twice it almost happened. And then as a result, for whatever reason, I guess I got stuck on some kind of mailing list or contact list for ABC. Yeah. And I would yep. get I would get calls to do different shows. MTV contacted me to do a show. And then who else did? Oh, the show Wife Swap. You remember this show? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. You're right. It's funny. It's not that you're going to yeah, be. That's related. Right. You're not going to be banging some other guy's wife. But uh, what yeah. what it was is, is, you know, you and your wife and then your wife goes live with the other guy and his wife comes lives with yeah. you. And, you know, you have completely different lifestyles. Well, what they wanted me to do was be that um, militaristic uh, drill sergeant with my kids and my family about training super hardcore, super regimented. And yep. that's just not me. And the other uh, couple was like this dope smoking hippie couple in the mountains. So you got yep. the the idea. It was tw I think it was if I'm not mistaken. I think they offered me twenty eight grand, and which yep. sounds great, doesn't it? But yep. you know, Uncle Sam <laughs> takes fifty percent in the UK, yes, probably your, more. Right, your Tom? age takes another twenty. Mm -hmm. Right, and then yeah. and then at the end of the day, it wasn't enough to sell my soul for like ten grand, which wasn't going to change my no. life. Now I'm willing to sell my soul, but the price has got to be right number, you know. Exactly. So I never did that, but so 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 ended my uh, reality. Uh, it's funny season. to hear it's the same thing because I got three offers after Deadliest Warrior for various shows that yeah. were overseas, and then I got another. I've done some. Uh, I got called back for a second audition on that SEAL Team show that's out on TV right now. Oh yeah, no kidding. Yeah, mate. They were, it's, it's funny. They they auditioned me to play an Arab. Ah, um, no kidding. There's, there's a lot of six foot eight, bald headed, blue eyed Arabs. There are. You just yeah, they're in disguise. That's true. And the other thing, like you are really pretty tall. You're a pretty ominous 
figure to look at. When you've done some other stuff, I mean, is that a challenge, you think, for you, if, they, if that were to go, that your height is just... Uh, I made it to you're talking about a challenge like getting on to TV and movies, right? Or yes, yeah, a challenge in no, a in challenge real for life. TV and movies in real life, it is too, probably at some level, but yeah, it's a double edged sword, you know. A lot of in the especially going back to bodyguarding, a lot of people have this image that the bodyguard's got to look like me, and right. in the celebrity world, they like that, and it actually helps being big when you're doing celebrity protection because if you come out of a restaurant and 150 16-year-old girls try and mob the guy you're looking after, you can be knocked to the ground and trampled. you got to have someone big enough that he can push those people out the way and pick the guy up and run with him. Right. When right. you go into corporate security, however, they and diplomatic protection, mm -hmm. those guys, they want people that blend in. Absolutely. They do not want the image that I need protection. So the guy walking past in the suit could be an executive assistant. He could be an attorney. You'd never know. They, right. they do not want you if you're big. And I got vetoed on some gigs i'd turn up and they're like nah you you look like a thug we don't want you yeah yeah no uh, again, because times, i've, I've done like, some of that work and you're and i'm obviously much short i do have the bald head and the, and the goatee but i yeah. might fit in you're right when you're walking down the street you're going to be far more noticeable than i yeah 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 and you and do that, give that in intimidation places, that can be the downside because who's the first person they're going to kill right you. you know, you, if you want to get to my client, you're going to look at me and go, well, drop him first. He's the biggest. Right. And, uh, yeah. So de definitely a double-edged sword. Right, right. So when you were going back to bodyguards, since we kind of delved over there, you did warrant and stuff like that. Was there a yeah. lot of, did you, was there a lot of preemption stuff that you were able to, to handle? I'm sure there was. And obviously there was times when the, uh, the shit hit the fan and you had to mix it up with someone, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting tra transversing between those two worlds because you typically find a guy who is in celebrity protection yeah, or you'll yeah. find a guy doing the corporate world. And the two very rarely cross over because in uh -huh. the corporate world, you've got, you know, you're in a suit and a tie and they want you to have short back and sides and no facial hair and no tattoos. Yeah. All right. You go into celebrity protection and those guys look like the fifth member of the band. They've got long hair and earrings and tattoos. I was one of the very few people that could transition between those two roles. And I'm not sure how that worked out. I guess because of the karate in Australia. And I've got some tattoos, even though they're hidden. And then, you know, I could shave the facial hair off and put a suit and tie on and go and work with the rich and famous. Right. But, uh, yeah, in both of the, and they're both roles are a little bit different. And this comes down to the art of the bodyguard. You know, you do a threat analysis on your client. So if I'm looking after someone very rich, the threat there might be they're going to try and kidnap his family members to get money. If you're looking after a politician, it might be assassination because someone disagrees with his viewpoint. Mm -hmm. If you go into celebrity protect, if you go into the celebrity stuff, you know, it's overzealous fans, stalkers, and paparazzi. Right. So, Completely different worlds. But, now, how when all these years of training, I mean, you're doing this your whole life. How are you? And yeah. I just from knowing you, you're like you're constantly a student and constantly learning. Um, yes. Is that something you've always done, or is that is that just inbred in you? You're constant. You're complete. You're curious about how things work, or do you have to decide uh, to mate, do that? One of the one of the things, and we probably should get onto a little bit about some of the books here. Um, one of the things I noticed when I originally started, I was going to be the typical, and I'm sure a lot of us as young martial artists did. I'm going to be the warrior poet. You know, I I grew up. I watched David Carradine, you know, right. Shaolin Kung Fu. I'm I'm going to do that. I'm going to get a robe and wander Australia and carry a stick and learn martial <laughs> arts and you know eat berries yeah. in the woods and all that shit. Yeah. And then when I'm bodyguarding. And I go into these, you know, you're in a private jet and you go into these mansions and you're staying in luxury five-star accommodation and eating, you know, top flight food and waited on hand and foot. You, after a while, you go, you know what? This is pretty nice. Um, I would like some of this. <laughs> and so I, start, I started looking at how did these guys do it. And one of, and this is a book I'm coming out with uh -huh. is Financial Secrets I Learned living hand in glove with these guys you know oh, yeah, i'm looking after one client was the top 50 richest people in the world wow and one commonality i noticed right you go into these guys houses that all have and these are self-made millionaires i don't, I don't they know, weren't they didn't inherit their, their cash yeah these are people who made it and they all have massively big libraries in their house hmm. have a little or no tv 
and I go into my poor friends' houses, and they have big TVs and little or no library. So <laughs> That's rather interesting. Guys, you look at Warren Buffett, man. He reads right. 5,000, what is it, 500 pages a day, I think it is. Real. That's amazing. Every, every single day. That's his day. He eats breakfast, he sits down, he reads books for about five hours. Wow. Charlie Munger, wow. his right-hand man, is the same. All of these guys are avid mm-hmm. readers. They're self-educated. They read autobiographies of how people who got rich got rich. Yeah. Um, read all the classics, the Think and Grow Rich, and As a Man Thinketh. They're all common. You know, no, go to the their libraries. Thread. I look at right. the books. Same books everywhere. Right, right, right. And so those are your kind. So when you're reading, those are your kind of books. Oh uh, yeah, I, lo- I mean, I'll read a novel in between every three or four nonfiction yeah. because um, you know you got to you got to give your brain a rest from the constant like. You know, it's like doing classes for, in a seminar, right? Every hour, you've got to give them a five-minute break. Right, you got, you just right, you've said that. And do something different, too. You can't just beat the, the dead horse and stuff. Right, now, yeah. do you read, like, I'll read multiple books at the same time. Do you do that? Yeah, me you too. Read, right, so I'll, yeah. I'll get bored yeah. with one, or I'm, I'm good with this topic. I need to digest this for yes. five minutes. Let me go on to this other book. Yeah, if you took a picture of my bedside table right now, there's probably 30 books on it, and I'm I'm halfway through all of them, so... <laughs> grab one start to read it and right. then you know something will pop up at work and i'm like oh i need to know a little bit more about that subject so yeah. i'll go find that and start yeah. reading it now yeah, that's that's what now do you once you read something do you ever go back and reread the same book yes all the right. time and i i do too and people go well, why the why the fuck would you do that because in my uh, mind there are books, as you mentioned earlier, that have this certain truth that just flows, right? Yep. Whether it was Think and Grow Rich or it was, a, uh, you know, a Tony Robbins book, there's essentially yep. the same truth that flows with it. Maybe I wasn't ready for that message at the time so yes. often, right? When I go back and Absolute, I read that book, absolutely. And, I go, and there's other right. there's other things you I'll go through and highlight certain passages right. in a book, and then I'll pick it up three years later, and I'm highlighting different stuff that. Like you just said, I wasn't ready for it at the time or it didn't resonate, but now I'm at a different point in my life business-wise, and now that makes sense. Right. And right. I, know, exactly. I know one of the guys I looked after, he reads Think and Grow Rich every single year. No kidding. That's, That's his thing. Book. The 1st of January, he picks it up, he reads it again. Bangs off. I've read it several times. Yeah? And you're right, and you learn yeah. something like, how, did I, how the fuck did I miss that message the last time I read yes. that book? Yeah. And I'm wondering, and also, by the way, subsequently, like, as you, I've... Now I've, I, I, I use Kindle, unfortunately. I do like having regular books, but the Kindle is just because of traveling. Right? I used to bring like yeah. 10 books with me. Well, that's really heavy in the backpack going through security yes. and stuff. So there's a highlight on Kindle, but I would highlight the books, and i go back and go, yep. why, why did I highlight that? I didn't always remember. And, and maybe six yep. months later looking, and then, then the message comes out. So how to be your own bodyguard. You re-released yes. it. Did you add stuff to it? Why, you know? Tell us about that book. I mean, yeah, mate, I bashed it out years ago because here was the deal. When I was doing bodyguarding, right, everything we do is preventative, right? Yes. You, the, the whole Hollywood thing of we're riding through roadblocks and shooting people and, you know, jumping off buildings with our clients under our arm and turning bed sheets into parachutes, it's all bullshit, right? It is? <laughs> if, if you do that job properly, right. there is no... It's not that exciting. No so we're going in, we either do two things. You either harden the target or you lower the profile. Yeah. So I'm going through all this training as a bodyguard going, why is all the self-defense stuff I've ever done starts with the guy strangling you or stabbing you? Good you know, why haven't Good we, why haven't we dealt with the lead up? Like, how did you get there? How did you end up on your back with some guy trying to stab you? What did you miss? So I started working on this concept, seeing how far I could reverse engineer it. And it actually starts with selection of the victim. And that doesn't that doesn't matter whether it's a house they're going to break into, a car they're going to carjack, or someone they're going to mug or rape, right? They have to pick a victim. Yeah. So I stumbled across this study. They filmed 100 people and walking down the street, and they took it to these career criminals, these apex predators, and within seven seconds, these guys all picked the same people on the film. That's now, interesting. extrapolate that and take it further, I've got teen classes with these kids that get bullied, and what the parents are realizing is you take the kid out of the school because he's bullied and you put him in another school, within a month he's being bullied again. Right. So the way he's carrying himself is sending out this signal, right, I'm a victim. Yeah. And you can yeah. pick on me, nothing's going to happen. 
So until you change, you can move your kid to 50 different schools, he's going to keep getting it. And another study out of England recently showed that those people are bullied their entire lives. It doesn't stop. No kidding. In every aspect of life, their workplace, everything. So I, I went back to selection and I'm like, well, can we do something? Because as a bodyguard with my target, if I'm going into somewhere heavy, I can lower his profile or I can harden the target, right? To make him not get selected. So we either slip in unnoticed or we make our presence so heavy they go, we'll pick us off the target. Can we do that with people? Sure we can. Yeah. All right. You give them the confidence to carry themselves around. They put a little bit of weight on. They lose the gut. They start to be aware of their surroundings and all of a sudden the bad guys ignore them. So then we went to isolation. Now the attack happens. So 75% of the whole process has got nothing to do with fighting. Can I do something about being chosen as a victim? Can I practice situational awareness and counter-surveillance? And can I practice dialogues that will... If I can say something in a fight that's going to make it worse, and that's easy, right? You know, oh, it the is. Guys, what, what the hell are you looking at? I don't know. I don't have my animal book on me. That'll get it stuck. <laughs> If I can say something that'll make it worse, I can say something that'll make it better. Right. So, and you saw that one I showed up in Kansas City years ago yeah. with Hawk and, uh, oh, who is he? Uh, Tim Tackett. Tim, the yeah. one about, you know, what the hell are you looking at? That shirt, man, it's beautiful. Where did you get that from? Right? <laughs> that, that flips the guy and reframes the whole thing. And, right. and no one is teaching this stuff in self-defense. So we call it soft skills. And I said, you know, I want to make this available to the public. The stuff I use to keep my clients safe for 25 years doing that job, why is no one teaching? And there are things that people don't know. I'm amazed that they don't know. Like, you should never get a hotel room above the eighth floor because there ain't a fire truck in the world to go higher than that. And we all remember the images of the Twin Towers when people were jumping from the 90th floor. Terrible. Um, Here's one that people don't know. Contact lenses melt in tear gas. So if you're working in any big city, think of Baltimore when those riots happened. People went to work in the morning and came out at lunchtime. There's rioting in the streets and tear gas blowing around. If you oh, have wow. contact lenses, those things will melt in your eyeball. Wow. I did not know you that. Better, you better carry a spare set or some glasses. So if you walk inadvertently into any sort of tear gas shit floating around, you can change them out. Yeah. Um, you, you, we've all seen these mob protests where they block the highway and then some people try and drive through and next minute they're trying to break into the car. And I think that was New Jersey where you had that one with a team of motorcyclists trying to break into that guy's four-wheel drive. Yeah. One of them or something. Yes. If your windows are all the way up, they're actually more susceptible to being broken than if you put them down a quarter of an inch. Oh, no kidding. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, this is the stuff that we learned as bodyguards and civilians don't know it. So I'm with friends, you know, and I'm like, if the mob comes across the street, I'm like, well, you put your windows down a quarter of an inch. They're looking at me like I'm crazy. And I said, man, this stuff needs to be in a book. So that's what it is. It's an entire book on what we call soft skills. Oh, no, that's great. Vehicle security, on foot, hotels, in an aircraft. You know, where's the safest place to sit in a plane, the least likely to die in the event of a plane crash? You know, how do you get through an airport and avoid being a victim of a a terrorist attack in the airport? There's all sorts of little tips and tricks like that. I've learned, like, yeah, and and, and as far as the, the... Look, the fighting act, and this is a big part. You're absolutely right. So many people always want to, you know, figure out the problem once the shit has already started. For example, yeah. uh, I, I've shared this story, and you may have heard this, where someone had said, you know, uh, Jim, how do you get out of a rear naked choke? And my yeah. response was, don't get in it. Right? Yes, Which it sounds exactly. right. So, and they go, well, they thought I was probably an asshole, but it was, it's the truth. It's that prevention, absolutely. talking your way out of it. Ideally, and if not, and you have to get physical, you know, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that has to happen. So now, yeah. what are these other books that you uh, have got coming out? Is anything uh, outside of Yeah, well, what I'm, what I'm going to do is extrapolate a couple of smaller chapters out of that book. I have a section in there on what's called a bug-in bag. Mm-hmm. And there are a ton of books online about what's called a bug-out bag. And for people who don't know what that is, the idea is you have a backpack in your garage at home. And if we ever have a societal breakdown, so think of, you know, Katrina, two good examples, Katrina or the great blackout of the Northeast or 9-11. Uh-huh. If something happens, you're in your house, you grab this pack and you head for the hills. And inside that pack is enough stuff to keep you alive. All right. And a lot of people have these things. Well, the bug in bag is a smaller bag that goes in your car. Because how do you get home to get your bug out bag? If you are in, you remember, you're up there, you live near there. When the Twin Towers came down and that blackout of the Northeast, 
Yeah. People had to walk. They had a guy on the news. They had to walk 22 miles home. All right? Everything yeah. was gridlocked. Uh, Everything. Power was gone. They couldn't get ATMs. They couldn't use this. They, they walked. All right? And the concept of this bag is something happens, and, and every year in winter, people go off the road in a blizzard and try and walk home, and they find them frozen to death in a ditch. The idea of this bag is everything you need. You jump out of the car, you put this backpack on, and you hoof at home. You've got everything you need to get there. So basic first aid kit, walking shoes, survival blanket, flashlight, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, there's a chapter in the book on that, but I didn't. I wasn't able to go into as much detail as I wanted simply because of space. Otherwise, that book would have ended up, you know, 800 pages. Yeah, sure. I'm expanding on that. I'm expanding on vehicle security because Americans spend so much time in their cars. No doubt. And every no day, doubt. road rage. We had one here the other day. A guy got killed, and I put a clip up on my Facebook page this morning of a guy in Kansas City getting crushed between two cars in a road rage incident. Wow. Um, so there's a whole, whole book coming out on that. But then I started, I went to a seminar earlier this year in Vegas, and I watched a kid who's 30 years of age make $6 million in two hours selling a business concept. Wow. And I'm flying home, and I went, you're an idiot. You're teaching, people, <laughs> you're teaching people how to punch people in the head, right? That's that's a pretty small market share. It, it really is. Versus how many people want to learn how to get rich. Very true. And so I said, you need to write the book because you saw you the, the millionaires. You watched them. You know what they do. You, you know saw they do. the libraries and all that stuff, yeah. So I said, I'm going to write a book about what these guys did. And so that one's coming. Right. I've got right. one on stories from the Legion. I've got one. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Uh, I have another one that I'm going to call, and I don't want to give too much away about this one, but it's going to be called Man Up. Ooh, um, sounds good. And it's going to be written as a story about a guy who stumbles across a kid who's getting the shit kicked out of him by a bunch of other kids, and he finds out this kid's being raised by a single mum, no father figure. And he's basically, you know, it's directed at all these single mums that are trying to raise boys because I dated one of them and I saw the problem they have, right? Trying to get, I, I dated this kid. We go to SeaWorld, he goes to piss and he sits down to piss in the cubicle. And I oh. said to his mother, what the hell? And she said, well, yeah, I mean, he comes with me to the bathroom normally and he's copying me. And I'm like, he's going to go to middle school in a year. He's going to get the shit kicked out of right. him. So I wanted to write this book that these mothers can give their kids, which is basically a, a man's advice on how to be a man, because bugger me if we're not disappearing. Right, no doubt. <laughs> dying, dying breed. The other thing is, real quick, because we're going to have to wrap it up in just a little bit, all your yep. drills, you have great drills, at, you got a great DVD series out on, on Hawks, uh, with Hawk. Um, yep. You have these wonderful drills. I mean, they're, they're so much fun. I was actually doing your zombie drill just... Jeez, maybe yeah. two weeks ago. Are these just all drills? Some obviously you've created, you've embellished, and stuff that you've just picked up through the years because you're really inventive and you're out of the box yeah. thinking. And, and Mate, it's I, engaging. I firmly stand on the shoulders of giants. I will steal anything I can from sure. anybody. It's called borrowing brilliance. <laughs> yeah, and and I will, you know, sometimes I'll tweak it. Sometimes sure. I'll find a better way to do it. Um, some of them I have created, like the multiple, the zombie drill I came up with because that was our forte. Uh, I, I just got real good at it because we worked in a strip club. So all the clients were groups of guys. They, we had one strip club in town mm -hmm. and these guys were going to get married. So all the guys at work, right? You had a guy who's a car dealer. So 20 guys from the car dealership come in, 10 guys from a bricklaying crew, 30 guys from the shipyard. Right, because one of the guys is getting married, so he's got the ball and chain on his leg and all that crap. Well, the waitresses are topless; it's full nudity. The guys get drunk; they try and grope the waitress. We go down, guys. You can't do that; you're gonna have to leave. And they're like, "Well, there's three of you and thirty of us. How's that gonna happen?" So it'd be on. Yeah. And I just got real good at fighting multiples. You right. can't. You so can't stand. You can't stand in one place. Never. That's great. You, you got to move, cannot. and you got to flank them. And then when I go in the military and we're doing commando tactics, small unit against big unit, they're going, you got to flank them. And I'm like, yes, you do. That's the same shit we were doing. You know? And so Miyamoto Masashi in the Book of Five Rings was absolutely right. Strategy is the same across the board. Right. Uh, so I would incorporate a lot of these into drills. And that's where they came from. No, they're great. They're, they're great. So, and, uh, you know, if, if you ever pick up those DVDs, anyone or get a chance, an opportunity to train with Nick, 
absolutely do it. It's fantastic. Another thing in recent years, with all your whole lifetime of martial arts and very hybrid and very innovative, uh, you end up doing some Krav Maga in the last couple of years. Well, here's how that happened real fast. I was, and we talked about this earlier, when I first got to the States, I was teaching what I called combat karate because I didn't feel comfortable calling it goju, even though it was 80% goju. Gotcha. So we called it combat karate to differentiate it from the sports stuff. And I was teaching, we had we had great fun with that. Uh, big club, really strong club, a lot of police officers training. And then 9-11 hit. And mate, I got people coming to me from everywhere who finally realized you can't just pick up a phone and call 911. Holy shit, I may have to take care of business myself. And they came to me in droves saying, you know, teach us something. And I'm trying to get them into a gi and they're going, I don't have five years. And then I went, well, holy shit, why don't you teach the unarmed combat from the Legion? Because that stuff's taught in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I started teaching Legion unarmed combat. But a lot of people in this country don't know what the Legion is, don't know it exists. They've seen the Bud Abbott, Lou Costello movies. <laughs> all right. And they just didn't know. So right. from a purely marketing viewpoint, it isn't any different. The, the analogy I use is imagine you were trained to shoot a Smith & Wesson pistol and you worked at Smith & Wesson teaching people to shoot Smith & Wesson pistols. Yeah. And then they went broke and the guy at Glock said, why don't you come over here and teach our stuff? Well, what's different about shooting a Glock and a Smith & Wesson? You know, the grip's the same, the trigger pressure, uh, how you sight the weapon, how you draw it under stress, how you engage multiple opponents, all that stuff's the same. You just got to learn the different names and, you know, some the Glock doesn't have an external safety versus the one that does, et cetera, et cetera. So changing from platform to platform, if you laid them side by, like an AK-47 next to an AR-15, they do the same thing. They both got magazines with 30 yeah. rounds. They both kill you. They both, you know, are, are, are semi-automatic, single shot, uh, three-shot burst, whatever. They're the same. Fired from the shoulder with a sling. So essentially what I was teaching in the Legion and Crab are almost the same. We spun off of the regular Crab, though, because one of the problems I have with those guys is they started getting a little bit fantastical. Yeah. And you yeah. talked a minute ago about getting out of the sleeper. You know, they're doing this stuff. I got a bag on my head. Uh, I'm in zip ties. I'm face down on the ground with two North Korean commandos in a North Korean nuclear bunker, and they've got guns in the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. You know, this is nuts. The average person in America doesn't, you know, they, for fuck's sake, they've got grenade defenses. Yeah. Right? So that they have plastic grenades, and the guy dives on the grenade and throws it on, rolls over and puts his hands over his ears and crosses his feet towards the explosion. And I'm like, I, I can't seriously teach this. When was the last time you heard of something? Well, you live in Jersey. They probably do. They, well, there's where, some <laughs> grenade attacks here. <laughs> it where, I live, where has there ever been a grenade attack? Right. Never. It's like, why are we wasting time spending a whole night when I can only train someone for two hours a week? Right? The average person. Two hours a week, three hours a week max. Yeah. They've got other things they got to do. Why am I going to waste an hour of that on grenade defense? Because <laughs> it sells tickets to the show. How to handle some asshole yelling at you in a parking lot, right? Or someone grabbing your shirt and trying to throw a punch to your face. Not all this other BS. So we just didn't feel comfortable teaching yeah. a lot of what yeah. they would do. Um, I mean, their knife defense is dire. The simultaneous block and punch is nonsense. That's why boxers don't punch with both hands at the same time. Right. Right, you figured out you, you've got no power doing that. So I looked at it and I said, I can't in good faith teach someone this. So we broke away and set our own thing up. Uh, we incorporate a lot more soft skills than those guys do. We teach what I think is a massive missing ingredient in all self defense training, and that's the legal ramifications of what we're learning. But which you know, is it, a, it, right, which it, is a concern. Like for New Jersey, is a I don't know how it is in, in the UK, Tom, but. In New Jersey, it is, uh, uh, I believe that you have a duty to retreat law, which essentially yeah. means I have to do everything I can not to fight you. You know, yeah. it's just a big gray area, you know, while other well, states two, like two quick, Two quick, real fast examples. Yeah. One, we teach our students there are two fights you're going to be involved in. The first one is the physical fight, and then the follow-up one's going to be the legal fight. No doubt. Right? And a classic example, and a lot of martial artists are aware of this, especially the Filipino martial arts guys, in New York, when they introduced the no smoking law in the bar, there was a situation where a bouncer went to throw out two kids, one of who'd lit up and refused to put the cigarette out. As he's dragging that kid outside, the kid's mate, who'd done Filipino martial arts, pulls out his tactical folder and slices this guy, stabs him in the lower quadrant of the groin area and slices his femoral artery open. Wow. And 
the bouncer died. And that kid ran to his instructor's house crying, right? And then the cops were called and he got life in prison. And that's a true story. That happened in New York with the bouncers with the smoking ban and this guy's dead. Now that instructor showed him, as a lot of the Filipino guys do, right? And you've done some of it. Sure. 30 sure. different ways to flens all the meat off a human body and here's all the blood vessels and blah, blah, blah. But no one taught this kid the legal ramifications of doing that. And as a result, he ends up in jail. So did his instructor teach him self-defense? Not at all. I would, I would submit no. Yeah. So we another big part of what I teach my students, and we'll even have an attorney comes in. We do this about once a year. We bring an attorney into the school who's prepped up on all the, you know, duty to retreat, castle doctrine, assault charge stuff, and the students get to ask him questions. All right, so they get a better handle on, you know, here, here's another one a lot of people don't know. If you do shoot someone, and the cops roll up and you say, I didn't mean for this to happen. You have just, uh, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, so don't take this as legal yeah. advice, but you have yeah. just basically negated any claim to self-defense. You did. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you don't know that, right, you, because your only defense is self-defense, you just took someone's life. Now, you can legally get away with that under the law of self-defense. But if you say, I didn't mean it to happen, you've just negated self-defense, well, then there's your only defense. You're going yeah, to jail. Right, no doubt. No. It's not. And, and instructors are not teaching this. They're they not. tell you, this is, how you, this is how you punch someone in the throat, and this is how you gouge someone's eye out, and this, this is how you do this. And, you know, without the legal ramifications behind that, I think you're a half-baked instructor. I think you're right. Now, you're now in the Carolinas. So you go to school. there. What are you, you, are you, what are you teaching down at your gym now, your school? Um, a crap, warrior's craft. Warrior's craft. And, and that encompasses the hand stick, knife gun stuff. You're yep. doing any sports stuff what? to help your self-defense. and Your self-defense. And what we do that's a little bit different is I started structuring this stuff so it's highest probability. And that's another problem I had with the, uh, the crab organization I was initially with. Yeah. They start off with a front strangle, right? So some guy's grabbing you, sticking your thumbs in his throat, choking the shit out of you. Now, you've, you've bounced. Right. How many how many times did anyone try and strangle you like that in the middle of a fight? Uh, never, I don't think. No. I, Hundreds I of fights. I don't think that's happened. Fights, 2,000 fights, I never saw that. And I'm right. like, why are they starting there? Why don't we start with the highest probability? So I look at girl students and I go, what would I be afraid of her doing to me? You know, trying to do a wrist lock, trying to double pick me up and slam me to the ground, or poking a finger in my eye. Yeah. Right, so I start with strikes, I'm like that, and a multiple attack. That's the fastest way to put people down. Right, you start hitting people hard. Um, so we teach initial right out the bat. It's punches and kicks and elbows and knees yeah. and headbutts and everything sure. else. If that fails, right, and this comes from my time on the door, right. If I don't hit the guy or he ducks or I miss or I don't do a good job, he grabs me. So level number two is getting out of holes. Yeah. Uh, level number three, if you don't get out of the hold, you're probably going to end up on the floor. Yeah. So level number three is getting off the ground and getting back to your feet as fast as you can. Then level four, we go into gun disarming and control and restraint. And again, if you look at traditional martial arts, we all know, right? You start with nunchakus and bows and tonfas and all this crap. And I'm looking at how many people have been mugged at nunchaku point, right? Versus how many people are robbed at gunpoint. And so we start with guns. Um, because down here I have access to the local cops. I train their SWAT team. And mm. I said to them, how many guys you got held up lately with knife, at knife point? And they're like, uh, none. How many people have been robbed locally at gunpoint? All of them. So, again, highest probability, we start there. Uh, we put in control and restraint. Again, a lot of schools don't waste time teaching that. I think it's huge. Uh, you got to have some low-key options, otherwise you're going to end up in legal hot water. Right. And then we go into multiples. Then we start going into... Uh, weapons and revisiting all the first five levels in more depth. Oh, it's a lot of work. It's awesome. Hey, Nick, we're going to have to wrap it up, brother. Uh, yeah. Uh, where can people get a hold of you? How can we find you? Uh, mate, on Facebook, I'm on there under Nick Hughes. You can look up Warriors Crab Maga. You can find me and you can look up Crab Maga Lake Norman uh, and you will find me that way through the web. Awesome. Look, I appreciate you coming in. Uh, Nick, really uh, a real badass, a real deal, great, uh, interesting guy. He was actually voted one of uh, Black Belt Magazine's 10 deadliest people. So, Tom, I think that knocks you to number 11. 
<laughs> so sorry you're no longer in top 10 Tom. nick thanks so much buddy i really do hey, appreciate, you, it. I appreciate and, it and it, it, look we'll have you on again and, and we, uh, we got to get together sometime in the near future it's been too long i'm planning us. a trip up your way soon so uh well, we'll, well keep me in the loop you can come it. by and do some okay. stuff at primal and then uh i know you have some connections up here so awesome brother thank yes. you so much i appreciate it. tom anything you need to promote brother uh, no, nothing for me. Yeah, Tom was was quiet during the show because we, he was having some connection issues on his end, some technical difficulties. So the technical uh, difficulty is he's hot and he's got no air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his panties are in a bunch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, is another great show. Uh, remember, you can hear us every Saturday night, nine p.m. New York and nine p.m. UK time on HamiltonRadio.net. Spreaker, iHeart, Stitcher, Sonos, blah, 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 blah. We're all over the place, 180 countries around the world. Uh, We'll be back next week. Peace out. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.